Okay. Okay. We're good. Welcome to the Blind Podsman. We are a podcast featuring all things Atuichi. I am Patrick, and with me is my co-host Jason. Hey, Patrick. How are you this week? I'm uh, I'm pretty good. How about yourself? Doing okay. Just busy as all get out. Much like this film, uh, Zatuichi and the Chess Expert from 1965. I really enjoyed this one, but I'm still trying to piece together all the different threads that are going on in this movie. Before uh, anybody turns off this episode, um, because it's about Zatuichi and a chess expert, this movie was uh, is called in some regions um, Zatuichi's Trip to Hell. Yeah, it's a pretty drastic change in title tone, but uh, um, saw that one also. I do you think it would have done better, or if uh, if it had more renown, if that's what its name was? I I think it's a it's a cooler title. I wouldn't exactly say it really fits with the movie very much but um but i know we made a joke last week about how this movie seems kind of dull and uh because of the title chess expert and as we know it's not about zatuichi traveling to ibm to fight that supercomputer that's really good at chess yeah that would be a weird twist but yeah you're right it's not about that I, I noticed that a pattern with these movies is usually when you get a dud, you tend to get uh, the next movie tends to be an improvement. And I would say this is a pretty vast improvement on the the last film we watched, Zatoichi and the Doomed Man. Um, I th- I think that uh, of all the side character, uh, hold on a second, Jason. Wife is home. I no longer have to worry about pets. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. As long cool. as it's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think of all the uh, sidekicks, uh, and it's hard to really say exactly if you would consider the chess expert uh, Juman- Jumanji. Jumanji. Yeah. Nineties kids will remember. This is a, a only nineties kids will remember this character. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and for the sake of their Western sensibilities, his name does sound very familiar to. Uh, the book turned movie starring Wally, uh, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. I don't know why I had such trouble saying that. Uh, Jumanji. Um, it's almost spelled nearly the same when it's uh, anglicized to our English alphabet. But yeah, Jumanji is our is our uh, special Ronin character, our uh, Zatoichi peer, if you will, for this installment. 
It's actually weird because I it might be because we've been watching these movies uh, for about twelve episodes now. But as soon as he was introduced in the beginning, uh, helping Zatoichi up after one of the very rare moments, he almost sees Zatoichi kind of eat shit because usually that doesn't tend to happen. Uh, he falls off of a dock. In fact, I wouldn't even say it was a dock. It was two pieces of plywood leading to a ship. Yeah. Um, he helps him up, and for some reason in my head, the first thing, despite uh, I had not read any spoilers or anything, and I guess this is kind of a spoiler, but um, as soon as he helped him up, I just kind of thought to myself, hi, I'm the villain for this one. <laughs> Could be. Yeah, this, this harkens back especially to, uh, if I remember correctly, the first movie that we watched um, for, for this series or perhaps Tales at Tuichi, one of those earlier ones where the other peer was somebody that Zatuichi would calmly have drinks with at a at an izakaya. You game. um did you make the connection between those two characters? Between the chess expert and the earlier one? Yeah. No. What did you find? It's the same actor. Oh, really? Yeah, that's the same actor. That's um what is his name? Uh Mikio Nar- uh, Narita. Narita, yeah. Shoot, uh, that's that might be why he stands out. Um, that or he's just a fantastic actor, which he is in this one uh, for sure. Um, yeah, Mikio Narita playing Jumanji um, has an early appearance on screen as the person who saves Zatuichi from falling completely off the uh, two planks that you mentioned that lead onto a boat to believe the island of Honshu. And uh, we usually talk about certain firsts for these films as they progress and this is the first film that i remember a film transition sequence that shows you his travel path uh while he's making his way we tend to watch these films with a not a very good idea of japanese geography at least in the quick fashion that's discussed in these movies like he's always traveling he's uh loosely mentioning where he's headed to next and where that is in relation to where he is now doesn't often mean that much. So we get this interesting um, proto-Indiana Jones plane travel map sequence uh, that shows where he's headed and just how much ground he's covering. I would um, I would actually throw down some money and say that uh, George Lucas probably pulled that for Indiana Jones. Could be, yeah. If this wasn't from any other more mainstream or popular film then yeah it could have easily been this one and this film is kind of like it does have like a cowboy western sensibilities that lucas was also drawn into um much like the other ones that we've seen but uh, the general synopsis for this one is uh zatuichi at this at the outset is in trouble with yakuza and then he just travels gambling and we'll get to that in here shortly, but gambling and making more trouble with more Yakuza befriends this Ronin who becomes a sort of traveling partner with no ill will between them and really just a fond love of uh, chess or shogi, the Japanese adopted version of chess. And then with his uh, love interest in this film, um, Tane which we'll also get to as something familiar with the earlier films, he finds himself even more trouble. Um, probably not in a direct, explicit way, but that, and throw in 
a brother and sister duo who are out looking for revenge while bathing in hot springs. And yeah, this is why I was having a bit of a, a tizzy with this film, uh, trying to sort out all the all the threads that are that eventually come together at the end. It's it's a very uh, Kur- uh, Kurosawa kind of movie where they sort of just uh, throw a billion different characters at you. And I mean, it doesn't feel incoherent. It just right. takes a little bit to kind of put together everything. Like even like there's a lot of. Uh, Especially with the brother and sister duo, I, I kind of had to um, rewind a couple. Is rewind still the proper term if it's on a Blu-ray? Yeah, um, it's, it's, I guess. it's right, right. Whenever I say rewind, I always think of videotapes, but I had to go back um, and kind of be like, wait, who the hell are they? <laughs> yeah, I, I ended up watching this movie twice, which was no uh, punishment at all because... On top of everything else, like the complicated story, this movie is really fun to watch. Um, it really oh, went by quickly. Um, I'm going to make a correction real quick. That actually oh, it's not is fun. not. It's, <laughs> no, I mean, uh, that actually was not the same actor. I'm sorry. I uh, I thought he looked a lot like uh, Miki from the first Zatoichi movie. And okay. when I Googled that actor, who is Shigeru Imachi, um, funny enough, it showed Tale of Zatoichi, but on Google. But as the cover, it was Zatoichi, the chess expert, and that's why I made the connection. Oh, um, okay. But I thought they looked a lot alike too. Uh, funny enough, though, I did just find out that um, uh, Shigeru Amachi is in one of my favorite Japanese movies called uh, Jigoku from 1960, which everyone should watch. But uh, that's not here or there. Um, well, have to yeah. Check that out. Also, on the Criterion Collection. Huh. Um, a lot of which, films on there. which was later remade in the 1990s um, into a Shintoist propaganda movie, which is even more interesting. <laughs> but um, anyway, that's, like I said, not here or there. Um, but yeah, to continue, um, it takes a little bit to put together Zatoichi and the Chess Expert. Um, I kind of, there's a lot of sequences in this movie that I wish I knew more about. Um, what did you say the name of, uh, the name of, um, the game they were playing, the Japanese version? It was essentially chess from my understanding, but I don't know how to play chess, so I can't, like, say that with complete confidence. It is a similar logic strategy game to chess. It's called Shogi. It goes by a bunch of different names, um, but it's generally played the same. It's, uh... It's not exactly the same setup and and move set as uh, European or Western chess. I'd say Western chess, but um, yeah, it's still still the same concept. Uh, two players engaging in strategic logical maneuvers on a game board. Um, sometimes it's called generals chess. So it's again the same idea of like two armies going to war. That's what. That's what chess generally is anyway. And um, at this juncture, you might be thinking like, okay, so what does it have to do with a blind swordsman? How's a blind swordsman play chess? Well, this shows another facet of the Zatoichi character. He's got a very sharp uh, memory in addition to having very keen senses. So he's able to envision the game board in his head and actually finds... Uh, to have a good time meeting and talking with this uh, Ronin on their boat trip to Honshu. Um, leading up to that discussion, though, because at that point they'd only met when he, when the uh, 
uh, Ronan Jumanji had saved Zatoichi from falling off the boat on his ascent onto it. Zatoichi plays a dice game early on in this film, but this is different than previous times we've seen it too, because he decides to run the dice game. Usually he's just a, a player, like he'll be watching it and participating and winning money that way and exposing the cheat in the game. In this case, he has his own trick up his sleeve, one might say. And that's a really direct pun because he hides dice up his sleeve. Um, but I thought this was really cool because it shows a way that, I mean, it's a, it was definitely a new twist on the usual dice game that they do for these films that was fun to watch. You, you know, um, it's very, it's actually interesting that um, these movies tend to always be by the numbers. Like you have the dice game, the love interest, um, Zatuichi being silly with a child. You have the respected rival. But um, the way these, like, I guess tropes are presented um, is never really like, uh, it's never, it never really goes against the movie. It's usually like, I guess it almost enhances it, like you were saying with the dice game. They kind of like flipped it on its head with Satuichi leading the game, and in fact, kind of tricking, almost kind of tricking people into falling for. I, I it's hard to say if he's even cheating so much as like he pretends to cheat, and then he calls them out on them like just going with it. Yeah. So it's kind of like a backhanded cheat, and then uh, it's funny because this sort of sets up. Um, one of the main conflicts for the rest of the movie is just these guys getting really pissed off about this dice game. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much the lead in the uh, the ignition point for the rest of the film. If it weren't for Zatoichi just doing this slightly prickish maneuver of exposing people's prejudices towards blind people. I, another thing I... Um, excuse the barking. Um yeah, I have like a loud, it, misbehaving dog. If it weren't for that, if it weren't for uh, Zatoichi trying to expose these folks in the first place, then this movie would just be Zatoichi and a swordsman playing like mental chess while walking from town to town. That's all you it know, would be. I kind of actually wonder um, if there is some sort of like, um, if there's some sort of significance to their moves. Um, I was in wondering terms the same of like thing. Yeah. how their I, I guess how their relationship plays out throughout the movie, but I mean I'm assuming if somebody watching this who knows anything about chess would probably be able to point that out. But once again, if they're playing uh, checkers, I might know because I know how to play checkers. But yeah, um, yeah, King Me Zatuichi. Yeah, that's significant in some way. Yeah, in this um, case, I was wondering the same thing. I was. I was curious if there was a um, if the moves were similar to what they were doing because we this is the first time we get a visual, so maybe it has something to do with like the way they're moving across the island or uh, who gets taken. Like there are people that are significant who die in this film, unlike just mass numbers that get slaughtered by Zatuichi. Like there's a there's a very uh, cloak and dagger approach to some of the murders, like a mystery. So I'm wondering if that had something to do with it when we see them playing chess. Yeah, the the scene in which, um, after spoilers, uh, turns out the chess expert isn't actually that great of a dude. Um, he kills somebody uh, at a temple lake, I guess. 
a pond. I don't know what you want to call it. It was a yeah, like um, a prairie site near a lake. A that, this prairies. is a very brief moment where this movie turns into Law and Order because like they have like yeah. the you have like a, a bunch of detectives. I'm assuming that's the um, oh Christ. I wish I could remember the name of it. The Shinsengumi, I think, was the name of the Japanese police at the time. Um, on the scene, uh, the body is covered. They lift the cover up, and a guy, who I'm assuming is a detective, then analyzes how the dude died in a very, like, procedural, like, you could flip on, like, an episode of Law & Order, and it would go roughly the same way. Obviously, this predates that, but, um, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, um, yeah. It's even shot the same way, too. Like, you see them lift the cover on the body. You don't actually see the body, but you just, the camera then focuses on the detective who's analyzing the crime scene. Um... And then and Richard a very Bells are an iced tea trade barbs, and it's a rule of fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jerry Orbach, I think, would probably be, um, maybe, would may, he, maybe, I guess it's Japanese Jerry Orbach who's doing the, uh, I think who's doing right. the analysis. Yeah, because he's very straightforward. <laughs> the guy, the person in charge of the scene who's, like, commenting on it, is just kind of, like, lazily pointing at the head and just saying very matter-of-factly, like, yeah, this person was choked to death, but not by, like, hands. This was done by a string. I'm not sure what kind of string, though. Which leads um, into, like, why why the piece of evidence that is found and later presented to Zatoichi, a uh, fishing bobber, uh, makes so much sense because he recognized it as possibly linked to his friend who had been going out fishing. So, and, um, mystery solved. He acquires this from a bunch of very loud children in a bathtub. Um. <laughs> yeah, and by the way, that scene of of Shintaro Katsu as Atuichi being splashed in that uh, communal spring area by these kids, and his face looking all like distorted and weird as he's like trying to get gasps of air between being splashed with water. That's like the first thing you see in the trailer. I've been watching the trailer for these films uh, because. Criterion has included them, like the original theatrical trailers. Because I'm curious, like if these films were coming out like four times a year, what were what was the draw in the trailers to get people to come back and see this blind swordsman again? And that's the first thing that's shown. It's like, see Zatoichi, and it's just him getting splashed in the face. (laughs) (laughs) See Zatoichi against the foe you've never seen before. A bunch of children being Rats. very, very misbehave. The 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 gravest sin for Japanese children is to misbehave in public. So yes, yes, they're all <laughs> possessed by foxes, which is something yeah, that, else that this film gets to. That was that I was not familiar with culturally beforehand. Like I knew there was the, some superstition about foxes, but this one goes all out. Um, I'm going to relay a story I actually heard on another podcast, um, the Giant Bombcast, which if anyone's familiar, it's a video game website, and they run a uh, podcast every every week. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the dudes who is on the show spent a, a number of years in Japan, and he was living out in Kyoto, out in like um, sort of a rural area. Oh, yeah? um, and he was told uh, of a legend in the uh, part of Kyoto he was staying in that there's a white fox that hangs her out in the forest who supposedly um, it turns into a monk or something. And I guess there was one day where he was out just kind of reading a book and he falls asleep and he wakes up to a white fox sniffing his face. And uh, I guess like foxes are 
um, the Native Americans actually view coyotes in sort of the same way. They're they're not animals so much as they're spirits, I guess. Well, uh, they are animals, but they're usually like, I guess, like the they're supposed to be like tricksters. Okay. But that's my understanding of foxes and uh. In Japanese culture, because it's the same thing with Native Americans and coyotes. You're not supposed to trust them. Um, I believe some Native American clans also believe that uh, owls are evil as well. Although owls are probably amongst the dumbest birds. Um, but I, yeah, that's that was kind of interesting that the, uh, the pedigree that the village doctor had was that she... Um, performed an exorcism on a maid who was possessed by a fox, which makes me wonder how that maid was acting, if she was just, like, digging holes or, like, eating rats or something. Yeah, we hear off-screen that possessed person scream a bit. But, yeah, I was curious if it's anything like uh, young Reagan from Exorcist or or how it's interpreted, or if it's just, like, a flailing and screaming. Have but, you ever interacted with a fox? Um... No, not up close. I've seen a lot of they're videos not, of people like have them as pets and whatnot. They're not very likable animals. They, um, I don't know why people keep them as pets because they uh, instinctively will try to escape every chance they get. <laughs> so it's kind of cruel to them. But yeah, um, they're loud and they're fast, and uh, you know they'll eat your chickens. It uh, sounds like a coyote. I understand the similarities and the reverence because. Yeah. I mean, how can you really keep an eye on something like that that's just kind of slipping away and in and out? And uh, this... coyote, not a funny story, but funny enough, a coyote actually killed one of my dogs uh, when I was a kid. And uh, yeah, they don't fuck around either. They're kind of the same way. They're a pain in the ass, and they're all over the place here. Was that also in Arizona? Yes, I oh. was in Arizona. Yeah, I don't have too much experience with coyotes. Like, in Ohio, there were always wolves and whatnot, and in uh little rock area there's rumors of bobcats i've never seen one but i've seen like tall long cats these i forget what they're called but anyway uh nothing as precocious or um damaging as coyotes or foxes um but yeah there's there's that's the first instance we've seen of like a a fox related tale because i've heard other fox folklore but I wasn't too familiar with a possession like this, like a near demonic or spiritual possession. And that's the that's the closest thing they have to a doctor at this one time of night, which is kind of exciting. It's like, who knows if this kid's going to make it? Oh, and <laughs> we should mention, yeah, if, that's, if that's the health that you have, we should mention that like the reason that this shaman is called into play is as uh, Zatuichi um, is providing a massage... Uh, to a client, the client starts, you know, inquiring like, "Hey, um, I'm kind of bummed out because some of my dudes got wrecked on this boat trip uh, playing a dice game. They're kind of dummies, you know." It's like, "Oh yeah, I may have been part of that dice game." In an uncharacteristic moment, like Zatuichi somehow gets cornered, and lets slip that yeah he cons some people on a boat, and the guy is able to get the upper hand on the situation, calls in the the uh, the wronged buddies in his yakuza group or and this turns into one of the most brutal cage matches in all of wwe history i'm telling you i'm glad you saw that same that same similarity they... he drop kicks Man. a dude out the damn 
wall. Like, I've never seen Zatoichi lift both feet off the ground like this, aside from when he was falling off those two planks earlier. But here he does, like, a graceful, like, macho man drop kick. It's pretty wild. It also gets, um... It gets pretty gory for, like, a second there because he, he sticks a... I think it's a pipe, like, right through a guy's face. That's later when he and um, Jumanji are chilling, like, after they've met up together and are in their own in room uh they have a bunch of dudes patrolling outside and they carry on the conversation but once those dudes strike uh, zatoichi disposes of them swiftly and yeah one of those dudes has the goriest makeup i've seen in these films yet with as you said like a pipe that goes or like a, a stick that punctures through one cheek and goes out the other and the actor performing is He's making some awful sounds that would probably happen if you had a, a stick sticking through your face like that. And you're still like throughout the you're still like throughout the movie not getting any uh, any gore whatsoever <laughs> during the sword fights. Yeah, exactly. During the sword fights, they're very quick. One takes place at night in a swamp, um, so you don't see anything anything there. Uh, but there there's some disturbing shots like that one. Because the guy is looking dead on into the camera, gasping and in shock, and that's disturbing. He kind of looks like the ending of Hellraiser, where the guy's getting his face pulled, and he says, like, and Jesus wept and all that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, turns into turns into ancient Japanese Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah. And then um, earlier in the film, when Zatuichi's about to be harangued by two people who were wronged in the dice game, while he's still in the boat... He, Zatuichi has lit a uh, small pipe and quickly turns and expels the the ember from the pipe directly into one of the guy's eyeballs. And there's a close-up shot of that happening, and I was mortified. I wonder how they did that. I don't know. It, it almost very quick. It almost looked like maybe they put a piece of glass or something like over his eye and then tossed like a... I guess like a bunch of... It didn't look like lit like lit ashes or anything, but I mean... I don't know. It was a good effect, though. It was a really neat shot, that's for certain. I mean, I don't think we've seen anything kind of like that before in any of these movies. It was shocking, yeah. But yeah, um, uh, when Zatuichi has that first run-in and uh, disposes of those guys cage match WWE style, uh, the guy who falls out the door taking place on the second story of this building um, coincidentally falls onto... Uh, two travelers who were also on the same boat to Honshu. It's this woman and her, as far as we're aware, her niece, who's all of like maybe five or four years old, this cute little girl. And the guy's sword slips out of its sheath and cuts the little girl's foot, uh, which also looks, God, there's like a really disturbing up-close shots of stuff, but not like gore during the sword fights. But that happens, and she's wailing, and that cut turns into an infection, and that's how we get this shaman. Um, and Zatoichi does some follow-up recon. Like, when he, hears, when he hears a kid cry, he's got to be on the know, because it's Zatoichi. He loves kids. He's like Gamera. Right. You know? <laughs> the giant turtle. Yeah, I mean, that's he loves children. <laughs> oh, that's like a theme for those movies. Yeah. It's something that <laughs> like that's an actual line from one of those films is a kid saying, like, it's Gamera. He loves kids. 
I mean, he's just like he's a kind figure, and Zatoichi is uh, also extremely kind. So, and he feels responsible in this case too, because um, he just drop kicked the dude out the window, <laughs> right the right. door, right the wall. Excuse me, and uh, so he offers to pick up the medicine that would help prevent the infection, and he tries to do the dice game trick again on their way out. This is interesting though. Because he fails at it the second time. Like, the trick is that he gets people to bet on the dice that he lets slip out of his sleeve next to the cup. Then he pretends to notice it for the first time. He's like, oh, well, if you've all placed your bets already. And they're like, no, not those. We want to we don't want to put the dice in the cup. He's like, why wouldn't you bet on the dice in the cup? That's what this game is. So let's bet on the dice in the cup, not the ones that fell out of my sleeve. I think it's just nobody's really the good guy in that situation. Like, no. yeah. So when he it's loses kinda, all, it's like police entrapment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and it's just interesting because usually Zatoichi has the upper hand in all these dice games and all these movies. Hell, even when he was firing arrows uh, in the Doomed Man, like he just could not lose. In this case, he loses. He falls on his damn ass, and people are calling him out on it. Like. When he pulls the uh, cup away from the dice, from the real dice, anticipating that's going to be uh, evens instead of the odds that were outside, um, he's kind of stunned. And it's this real embarrassing moment uh, where he has to feel the dice to instead of taking people on their word. Like the entire group is like, no, those are odds. The ones under the cup are odds. So it's it's interesting to see Zatoichi fail so miserably for once at one of the things that he's just like he seemed invincible at. It's um yeah, this is actually one of the first movies where you really kind of see him um being vulnerable in the things that he normally is an expert in. Um like I said like in the beginning when he almost falls off that dock, like I don't think I've seen him like go down before like just on like pure accident like that. Um and then, like, also with the dice game, you don't—you never see him lose at gambling. Um, yeah. Do you recall him losing at all during chess? Uh, yeah, he loses almost all the time at chess. I think he—Jumanji uh, remarks that he's only up one to Jumanji's two wins. So Jumanji hmm. keeps encouraging him to play. And I guess an interesting thing about that character is Jumanji— realizes that he'd been playing this whole time with a visual board in front of himself, whereas Zatoichi has to do it all from memory. So Jumanji starts playing without a board. There's a lot of trust between these characters, because even though he doesn't have to do any of this, like everybody takes advantage or tries to take advantage of Zatoichi, but Zatoichi can tell that Jumanji is like pushing away a board and tying a blindfold around his own eyes, around Jumanji's own eyes on his own volition. Like, he's aware of this happening, even though Jumanji doesn't have to be explicit about it. So it's this, it's an interesting, like, friendship or respect. I think respect that develops between these two. Despite of course that, Zatoichi, like, failing so much in this entire movie. This also uh, starts to become strained as it's revealed that uh, Zatoichi's new buddy is not completely on the level. Um... Yeah, we discussed As he is a murder. murder. Yeah, the murder we discussed earlier was committed by Jumanji. It was this it was a retainer named uh Rope who was traveling with um 
two members of a family that were looking for revenge on a traveling ronin who loved to play chess. Um, mm. <laughs> the brother and yeah, who could that be? The uh, the brother and sister duo are Sagawa and Kume. Kume arrives traveling in disguise as a man, which all things considered, I mean, she would still she still looks fairly feminine. But um, yeah, that was that was for sure a lady. Like I the, immediate, even when she was in costume, I was like, "That is a woman." <laughs> yeah, that is a woman entering the scene. But then everybody who encounters her, all the actors who with sight, all the characters with sight, are like, "Oh, excuse me, sir." And they're very explicit about it. And Zatoichi is the only one, again, obviously with this the case of these films, who's like, "No, I'm I'm in a room with a man and a woman," and they're like, "No, you're not. It's two men in here." And he's like, "Nope." Definitely not. At one point, her character, yeah, her character would later be remade in the 2006 hit film "She's the Man," starring Amanda Bynes. <laughs> I don't Kidding. remember this film. <laughs> what year was this? 2006. Yeah. Oh my god. That was another one of those movies where I think, uh, like, it was like uh, some shit like. A girl pretending to be a guy, but almost for sure, like you could tell it's a woman. It, it's kind of like the the movie Ugly thing from She's All That, like like how uh, what's her face? Rachel, was it Rachel Lee Cook who was in that movie? Yeah, God, I haven't thought about yeah. Rachel Lee Cook in a while. Like how she was supposed to be like the ugly girl, but all it was was her hair was up and she had glasses on. Like, uh, yes. it's kind of like this chick. It's like I am a man. It's like your hair's up. You are very visibly a woman. It's the Clark Kent effect. <laughs> It's like, let me just yeah. remove these glasses. Gasp. Here's somebody else. Yeah, um, they're looking for revenge on this guy. And if it weren't for, like, the fishing lure that Zatuichi stumbles upon from those kids who brought it back from the murder scene, and uh, just a simple idea that there's a guy who loves chess that killed this person, a traveling Ronin who loves chess so much that he might kill somebody, um... They also say that he's got a very familiar tick when he's about to make his ultimate or final move in a game. It involves rubbing his nose and making a loud snap with his fingers. And Zatuichi has been hearing that snap for at least two or three days, <laughs> traveling with this guy yeah. playing the game. So he's convinced. And and that's where the ending comes around. Is like He's helped out this his other traveling companions, Tane and... The young girl who turns out to be her daughter uh, this entire time. And, <clears throat> uh, but s somewhere along the line, despite having these traveling companions, Zatuichi resolves that he's going to uh, mortally wound this uh, new friend of his, Jumanji, for the sake of this brother and sister getting revenge for their father's death. Um, Otani has her own thread line though and what's weird about it is like she lies about the kid we find out that it wasn't her uh, sister who married a Yakuza member it was herself and the Yakuza member died as we find out at the hands of Zatuichi at one point uh oh <laughs> yeah go figure and it's it's a weird this is where it kind of throws me it's like we didn't really need this much uh, a pathos in this film. I think we already didn't have enough going for it, but it was something personal for Zatoichi, I guess. You know, it's 
I, I, I've seen this kind of thing before. Um, there's this, uh, obviously this came first because, you know, this movie's from 1965, but there's an anime uh, called Samurai X that has almost an identical plot point where uh, a girl falls in love with the guy who killed her fiancé. Yeah. Um, except she doesn't know that he's the one who killed him um, initially. But, um, yeah, it's. I, I'm assuming this shows up in something else. I mean, it must be some kind of, like, old story trope or something. Um, she references some play to uh, the innkeeper at some point um, when, they're, when they're in that, I think, in the... Uh, when they make it to that hot springs village. Yeah. But it's so I'm wondering, I was like, maybe that's, maybe that's a reference to whatever play she mentioned, if that's a real thing. Like I, I try to look for, like, I keep thinking, like I keep like looking for stuff that may not actually be there, but I'm wondering if that's like a reference to the play that she was talking about. But I don't know. Like it must be some kind of story trope, especially in like, um, like Japanese, like literature, maybe. But, uh, yeah, uh, also, this movie kind of, um, this movie kind of, um, kind of seemed like a remake of, uh, Tale of Zatoichi, sort of. And on I that, think. yeah, on that note, this love interest is named Tane, who Zatoichi really points out, it's like, oh, that's the name of a woman that I was in love with, which was yep. Otane from Tale of Zatoichi, and... I don't think it was Tale of Zatoichi Continues, but the third installment after that. New Tale of Zatoichi. Yeah, she shows up again there and ends up dying, which, again, Zatoichi remembers with great clarity. He's like, I can't I can't reciprocate your love because you're named the same. There's <laughs> this person well, that was, it was only it was only two years ago, so. <laughs> True. True. Um, God, he's had a rough two years. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the whole thing kind of, and it's, it especially didn't help that, A, this girl's name was Otane, and B, the guy, the, the Jumanji looked exactly like the samurai from the first one. So much so that I got them mistaken and thought it was the same actor. Um, which uh, then leads to the conclusion of the movie, which ends somewhat similar, like somewhat similar to Tale of Zatoichi, minus, uh, well, at least the confrontation between him and Jumanji, which I actually... For as short of a sequence as it was, I thought it was pretty spectacular. Um, yeah, that was is one of the better in uh, pure fights from these films for a long time. And that was uh, that was of course um, as they're walking, uh, they start to play chess. At which point, um, it gets the moves get more and more tense until finally, uh, you of course hear the snap from Jumanji who says that he's been bested, at which point Zatoichi pulls out the lore, and um, it zooms into Jumanji's eyes, and he draws his sword immediately, which, uh, it's very, it's very tense, and it's very, it's very tense, it's very quick, and it's over pretty much before you know it, but it's a, it's a pretty astounding scene, especially because of, uh, it's once again hearkening back to Tales of Zatoichi, where, like, he is doing the right thing, but he doesn't want to. Um, mm. you know, obviously, killing his friend is not exactly the ideal thing he wanted to do that day. Which he doesn't end up killing him, but he sets him up to um, be killed by the siblings who show up. With uh, I- I'm assuming that's the gambling gang from the beginning? Um, or is that their own crew? I could, you know what, I 
feel like it's their own crew. Maybe they hired them like they're they come from a family with money. They had a retainer for a while uh, up until he was murdered. <laughs> so so they may have been able to afford some hired muscle. But yeah, they descend upon the guy. And, it, and that was interesting as well, because it looked like they were just traveling back home in defeat, ready to uh, basically hand over their entire uh, name and whatnot. They were they were prepared to go down shamefully and and lose all of their uh, inheritance and family uh, saving face that they had had. So I was surprised to see them start running through the woods and be like, "We got this. We'll we'll deliver the killing blow." And then, of course, uh, that's not the last fight of the movie because what happens immediately after. Um, is this is why I was confused because all of a sudden their gang just kidnaps that child, um, Miki. I think uh, her name. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, thank you. I was trying to remember why another scene happened, and that prior to this, Tane, without telling Zatuichi any of her uh, relations to the Yakuza, um, she had been quietly following Zatoichi and like signaling when he was in a certain town um, or at least signaling when she was somewhere and this she tells the group like after she's fallen in love with Zatoichi like tells them very robustly and defiantly like you don't have to kill this guy anymore there's no use in doing it he's worthless trying to get them off of his tail for his sake um, still harboring like these deep feelings for him but it doesn't go well. That's why they come back. They're like, no, we still want to get revenge on this dude. Uh, he killed your or your husband, and our gang members are shorter because of it. So we need to we need to do this for ourselves. And that's why they kidnap the girl because they realize that Zatuichi has this familiarity linked to her. Like she's, you know, she's important to him now. So they're like, okay, get what's important to Zatuichi, and they effectively kidnap her and hold her in a very brutal way i think they got like a foot on her back or something like well yeah it looked like um it almost looked like they were stepping on her neck kind of but yeah she can you know she's wailing the whole time and it's actually a really sad moment because you know yeah it just kind of brings out that instinctual you don't want to see a kid in despair um but yeah it's a it's a really uh of course, this gets Zatuichi going, and he just just wrecks these dudes. Um, yeah, they, they had a strategy where they would all attack him at once, and that was useless. But yeah, uh, I feel like we've seen that strategy before somewhere. Like we've seen a lot of unique work. ones, like fire nets. Um, I know we've had to have seen like, all right, everybody at once, but be careful about it. Uh, once again, you're uh, reminded that there's no blood in this movie because there's a part where. Funny enough, one of the guys who has a crutch uh, trips Zatuichi. Uh, Zatuichi falls down, slices the guy up through his chest, and the guy lands on Zatuichi. Uh, there's no blood on the sword, and when Zatuichi pushes him off, there is uh, no blood on Zatuichi either. Oh my god. So, yeah, that's right. I didn't realize. I saw this movie twice. And all I could clean think of, like, as a whistle. Oh man, just fresh <laughs> as a daisy. Yeah, I could not... Oh. I, I don't know why I didn't catch on to that either time. I just thought it looked cool. I like, because there's a lot of drama and significance in that scene of like the guy with the cane tripping him up and all this. 
and you have these pursuers in the film that are just, you know, always sneaking away at the shadows. Very weird, almost lynching type stuff. Like there's, when they go to a festival and Zatoichi is doing this performance bit, like he feels like he's going to have to get his head bashed for money or something goofy like that. But he ends up catching uh, coins on two skewers that people talk like people toss coins into the air and Zatoichi's able to catch them even though he's blind. He's being watched by this pursuing group and one of the dudes is wearing like this like a tanuki suit or something? Like he's got Yeah, yeah, a that, bear outfitter whatever. I was, I was really curious as to what was that was supposed to be because like it was just like this weird scene where it just shows like Zatoichi just like I get, I thought people were trying to I, I couldn't remember if it was Zatoichi or if it was like his buddy but then um it was like people trying to cut off his head and then like it would just cut to like just a dude in a bear costume and i was like what is this movie even about yeah like these (laughs) those bits were odd like these i guess going back to the trickster motif of like the foxes like there was this guy covered in fur just waiting off in the wings along with other dudes their common resemblance is that they had like weirdly plastered parts of their face like this white paint like one guy had on his nose one guy had on his cheek and i thought these were the guys at the very beginning pre-title uh card of this film whereas atuichi's just alone in the courtyard this is how the film opens he's alone in the courtyard and he can sense that there's like four or five dudes um surrounding him very quietly in the night and of course he disposes of them but in a weird weird use of camera work and camera or cinematography we see up close shots of the guys of the assailants after Zatuichi's attacked them and they're like in these weird pull away moments where they're they're stunned and they've got these giant slashes across their face like again like close up gore after the fact but not like blood spraying or anything like that yet um i thought those were those guys uh since they would have like tried to patch up their wounds and whatnot you know what's a cool thing about tanukis <laughs> what's that you can turn they to stone have, when they have giant testicles <laughs> that's true that is very true when i was in Japan, not real tanukis but the the yokai tanuki yeah the one with like the fisherman's hat yeah 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 i i don't know yeah i remember seeing that for the first time in japan i was just like this is this is really something because it's like a very joyful little statue. It's like, look at these. Look what I got going on. They uh, they use it as a weapon too. To uh, and they they use it as weapons or a way of shielding themselves from the sun. Or sometimes they'll use them as signs. <laughs> so <laughs> did not know anyhow. that. <laughs> um, yeah. Back to Zatoichi chat, and people say we don't know anything about Japan. <laughs> we know a few things. Just exactly. Just a few, you know, though. Um. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a wacky movie. I think it's. I, I mean, it's obviously uh, far and away better than its predecessor. Um, it, it was. I feel like writing wise, they put a lot more into this film than they did with the previous movie. Um, it was even though there was a lot of stuff going on, it felt more coherent. Um, there wasn't as much action, but there was enough. Um, and when I say that, I mean, like, there's, like, three or four big scenes, including, like, the last battle. Um, you got back to having, like, a likable sidekick, which was missing from the last movie with the comedian. 
Um, I mean, likable in like a sense that you actually care about, you know, the progression of their story, um, especially in conjunction with the relationship with Zatoichi. Um, it was also kind of interesting that he became, I guess, the de facto villain. Um, I thought a lot of like the there was like a lot of like neat little things that happened in the movie that I really like. Like I said, we talked about earlier about that whole police procedural moment. Like I thought that was really cool, especially considering that like that kind of like trope had not existed yet. I'm assuming. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, at least not in these films, we didn't see anything quite like that. Yeah. Um, I, it's a, it's, this is definitely one of the better Zatoichi movies. It's uh by the guy who directed tale of Zatoichi, Kenji Misumi who also made uh, Fight Zatoichi Fight, which is, I would say, probably still my favorite Zatoichi film. Um, he also made uh, all the Lone Wolf and Cub movies. Uh, I believe he comes back for the next... No, I'm sorry. It's not... But he comes back for Zatoichi Challenged, which I think is the one that Blind Fury is based on. <laughs> hmm. So... If, yeah, yeah, that's the one that Blind Fury is based on. All right. So get ready for that. I will prepare um, overall, what, what did you think of uh, Zatoichi and the Chess Expert? Uh, this became my new favorite of the series. Um, I, I know we talk about like introducing films to uh, friends. Like, which one would you pick to show people? Like, as far as a Zatoichi. Uh, film goes and i actually did with this one i watched this one the second time with friends um and they seem to enjoy it pretty well and i i think because it reminds me of, like one of my earlier favorites which was like any of the first three of the series particularly the tales at toichi and with so many connections to it i'm now i'm not really that surprised that i was so fond of this one like everything I... from character names to character tropes to even the same director I would almost go as far as to say it might even just be, like, a very soft remake of it. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah, yeah. What about you? What did you think? I thought it was really good. I mean, it was was definitely a step above the first... uh, Or not the first, I'm sorry. It was definitely a step above... um, Doomed Man? Yeah, the last one, the Doomed Man. Um, I think that... uh, I, I, I am a little more confident now whenever, like, we see a stinker, I guess, that uh, inevitably the next one will be much better because that seems to be how this series works, is you'll have the uh, the phoning it in Zatoichi and then you'll have the much better Zatoichi next. Uh, yeah. um, it was cool to see uh, Misumi back, um, especially, like I said, how this feels like a, kind of a remake of Tale of Zatoichi just in color with a much bigger budget. Um, I think this is Zatoichi at his most emotional, especially considering that um, it has to do with a child in, in peril, which is a big no-no for Zatoichi. Um, it's, there's a lot, like I said, there's a lot of stuff I really liked. Um, I think they're getting a lot more, uh, I almost want to say riskier with the way they film these movies. I think... Um, I kind of I'm starting to get a little frustrated that there's no real blood in any of these films except for just this one scene where this dude has a, a, a cigarette just shoved through his cheeks, which you don't even see that really too often in movies now, um, which I thought was pretty cool. It's just uh, I remember there was one Zatoichi movie that did have blood, though, like a pretty like decent amount of blood. And that was it. Oh, yeah. I, I just, 
Yeah, I was going to comment, like, this is the first time we see Zatoichi genuinely failing, but uh, there's that previous one where, like, he gets a mob descended upon him. Not Yakuza, but public. And it looks like he's failed the public. Like, the people he usually stands up for. And one of them cracks a, a bottle on his head in the heat of yeah, the moment, he- and he starts bleeding. Um, that was intense. And then there's that one where he gets thrown into a rock uh, by the sumo wrestler, and he comes up with blood on his face. There was also a fight, Zatuchi fight, where he gets lit on fire. <laughs> Not as much blood in that one, but also very intense. <laughs> um, I, I Juman, Jumanji was a really cool character. He was interesting. Um, I kind of knew immediately he was going to be the villain, because just, just that's the vibe I was getting from him. Um, yeah, and I... I want to touch upon what I thought was one of the more interesting scenes in these films history is that uh, uh, when they start connecting after Zatoichi's accosted by those two guys that he just cheated in that dice game, Zatoichi only tossed them over the side of the boat where they're both still hanging on. So he carries on this conversation with his new pal, Jumanji, but the entire time in the audio, you hear these two guys yelling for dear life. That, the that's distance. the other thing. There's a lot of, like, off-screen audio in this movie. I don't remember really seeing it in any of the other films. Like, when you were talking about the girl who was being exercised because she was possessed by a dog. Um, oh, the fox, yeah. The fox, yeah. And then, like, um, not really, like, a significant moment, but also when uh, one of the siblings, whose name I don't remember, the girl, comes to the uh, hotel, you can hear her um, calling for someone in the background. Yeah, yeah. Which, I, yeah, that's right. I don't know if they picked up an extra microphone at some point since the last movie, but I don't really recall ever seeing, like, uh, or I guess hearing more appropriately, like, off-screen audio like that before. Even earlier? At least, yeah. At least audio that's, like, semi-relevant to the plot at hand, you know? Right. Earlier than that, um, before things get really heated, when um, Zatoichi goes to that masseur, he's going through the streets, like, selling his wares. And he does that by blowing on a whistle. So we have the focus on Zatoichi blowing on his masseur whistle, like advertising, hey, get your massages here, that sort of thing. Um, but in the distance, off camera, is when we first hear the young girl uh, that he eventually like tries to help save singing. Like her mom is teaching her how to sing, and you hear that off camera. There's lo- You're right, there is a lot of off-camera stuff sound and audio going on here that i had not considered now another thing is that this movie features um a score by akira irufube our boy and but i don't really recall there really being a lot of music like at all yeah like even during yeah. a lot of the fight scenes there was you didn't really hear anything of the fighting um so if there's a score it's very subtle yeah i think you're right um i before we close out this review i wanted to talk about the rio thing because i know that's something that comes up all the time on the show oh yeah the um, money deal and it's especially so, important here because that that's part of his entire scam is that he pretends to have quite a bit of uh rio and it turns out to be like a fake stack it's counterfeit yeah yeah you can so go to what, jail for that <laughs> maybe as much as you can go to jail for having like a cane sword which was also so, like an illegal thing but what do you find out true well, okay, so obviously because Rio is something that existed before, um, before like, again, the idea of, like, uh, exchanging currency was a thing ever, 
Um, it's hard to really exactly get it down to what it would be in like U.S. dollars. Um, but according to Japanese textbooks, uh, a, a Rio was worth about 100,000 yen, since yen is the system that replaced it, um, during the beginning of the Edo period. And then towards the end, it was worth about 4,000, which the uh, Edo period ended in 1868. Now, there is a film in this, uh, in this series called Zatoichi Meets Yojimbo, and Yojimbo takes place in the 1860s. So that so we can probably firmly assume that uh, Zatoichi takes place in the 1860s, which would probably put the Rio at about 4,000 yen. So that would mean that if you compare to like today's exchange rate with the yen, or one Rio is about 38 bucks. Yeah. So I believe that Zatoichi charges one Rio per massage, which is about $38, which if you go to the Chinese massage parlor in the mall, they charge about 50 bucks. So prices haven't changed that much in the past 200 years. Huh. I was going to say, like, if it was money that was, if we judged for inflation, at least on our account, um, but there would not have been an exchange rate going just from the fact that, you know, Japan was still in the isolationist state at that point. Also, IMF did not exist at that point in time, so. Yeah, so it is kind of like uh, loopy. Like you said, there was no currency exchange, so it's kind of moot. But as far as like it goes with within the country itself, yeah, that's pretty fascinating, especially since now, it drops so much from a hundred thousand down to four thousand. What's interesting is it's still disputed in Japan too. This is the official academic explanation for Rio, but the Currency Museum of Japan places Rio at about four hundred thousand yen, okay, which is roughly four thousand dollars, I believe. So it's I don't know, it's funky, but I'm gonna go by the official. T- textbook rule and i'm just gonna say that like that medicine that he had to get was about 190 bucks which is pretty steep i imagine yeah it is it, um, it does account for a tense couple of scenes for sure when he's trying to uh, retain that the money there's also the capital for it during the uh gambling scene they also introduced uh because of course rio wasn't the only like currency measure back then there was also uh, a different sorry um there's also a different kind of currency which i'm assuming was a dollar and cents i think it was like ramon and something else and i just said fuck it i'm not going to bother looking that up so because this is the only movie where that was mentioned as a thing every other movie it's always rio so i'm just going to stick with that so that is that's a bad so that is that is the that is the official blind podsman uh currency evaluate valuation of rio is 38 bucks so I'm glad we got we that settled because just... I was I know we were just going by the idea that it was worth about as much as a bushel of rice. Yep. And, and if any of yeah. if any of our listeners work for the Japanese Currency Museum, uh, sorry. Yeah. Or educate us. Let us know. Yeah. Let us know that four hundred thousand marker if that's like an internal reference uh, for yen, like within the country itself. But um, that's our official stance on that. And our official stance on Zatoichi and the Chess Expert is very good. For me, it's my favorite. For Patrick, it's a big favorite. recommend. Yeah. A good place to start. Next uh, time, we're leaving Kenji Masumi in exchange for a directorial effort by Tokuzo Tanaka for the 1966 Zatoichi's Vengeance, the 13th installment in the series. Hmm. What's that one about? 
Um, well, it's got a similar name to the tenth installment of Zatoichi's Revenge. Yeah, but, I was I was thinking I was like, wait a minute, we watched that one already. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not Zatoichi's personal revenge, but he is helping seek vengeance for a uh, Yakuza's dying wish. So, sure to lead into one of those uh, last requests, almost like the beginning of the Doomed Man. So hopefully this won't turn out too much like the Doom Man. Well, it should be noted that Takozo Tanaka, the director, also did New Tale of Zatuichi, which is a good sign. Yeah, that's good. But he also did Zatuichi the Fugitive, which is an okay sign. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I guess that really does it. Um, we don't really have a blind leading the blind. This has been a pretty lean episode, but, I mean, it's been busy the past couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know if we're going to have any guests next week. We might. It's a possibility. Uh, we might try to get Sean on, who's the whole reason we're doing this show. Um, yes. We've been trying to get him on for how long have we been doing this? Like, roughly, like, nine months? Yeah, at least 12 films. <laughs> so yeah. That's uh, how I measure things, much in the way that, yeah. I, I don't know if we can consider ourselves experts yet, because I'm not sure how many hours we've really put into this, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'd say like twelve episodes is pretty, pretty spectacular in terms of. Uh, yep, we've been doing this for nine months. Our first episode went up on June twenty second, two thousand sixteen. A much more innocent time. Yes, is that to each less time? Yeah, um, a time when it was still available on Hulu. Now you can only find it on Filmstruck and on uh, physical copies legally. Or if you want to watch it illegally, you can get that on a. Uh, you can uh, you can watch it on either YouTube or there's a uh, Chinese streaming site that has uh, the movies with no subtitles. So that sounds appetizing to you. There yeah. it is. So uh, if you about... want to watch it on hard mode, on hard mode, yeah, uh, we are about halfway through the original um, Shintaro Katsu series, so that's exciting. Is this the halfway point? Almost. Yep. Almost. Once we get through 13, it'll kind of be there. So, yeah, exciting stuff. Shit, man. We're we're almost there. Only <laughs> half a series and then like three or four more movies after that, and we've done it. <laughs> we finally have done it, yes. And then we can start watching all the Chinese knockoffs at Tuichi's, which is several dozen. <laughs> or the television series. That's like 100 oh, God. episodes. I don't know if I'm down for that, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> Especially since from reading up on that, it seems to be just uh, it, re- a lot of them seem to be just these. yeah rehashings. And then it's like, what do you say, like 78 episodes and every one of them is the length of a movie. So yeah, maybe in maybe reality that in reality, there's like a hundred some odd Zatoichi movies, if you really think about it. Yep. <laughs> But uh, yeah, okay, so I guess that does it for tonight's Blind Podsman, and we'll be back in two weeks. So for Jason, and of course myself, good night. Makura
Oh, you. 